Hey everyone, welcome to the Under the Blanket podcast, and we are under Maraji's blanket in the here and now, where, as he said, Selbeck, it's all one, and we have, to, and if you could, listener, you know, you don't get busy listening, just let the listening happen, and just relax into the moment, and if, and open your heart, says sunshine, and if you notice yourself getting caught in what someone's saying, that's okay. Just notice it and return back to the moment where we just are and we are not separate from any of it. And we have uh, Ganga Das Baba for the first time on the podcast. And it's honored to have you, Ganga Das Baba. Hey, thanks for having me. I deeply appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. And uh, I figured we'll start with... Um, if you could, you're a sadhu, and if you, well, Sunshine asked, what's a sadhu? And maybe you could start, you could explain what a sadhu is for people that don't know what that is, and how you became a sadhu as well. Absolutely. So a sadhu is a term generally that is associated with a Hindu aesthetic or a wandering monk. Uh, most sadhus are vowed and belong to a certain type of tradition. Um, the goal of a sadhu is to achieve moksha or liberation. The word sadhu actually stems from the word sada, which is a Sanskrit word which means dedication to practice. The same root of sadhana, which we refer to as practice. So the goal of a sadhu is to wander and search and find God in everything and anything. Um, different sadhus have different paths to their specific ways that they are. For me, it came through my guru, Neem Karoli Baba, and uh, one of my first teachers who initiated me into the path of guru lineage and uh, becoming a sadhu. And from there, I found a tradition that made sense to my worldview and my philosophy. And I took sannyas vows through them uh, this last summer in 2023 and became a member of an akara, which is a governing body of sadhus. Oh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So, uh, and where you be a sadhu at a specific temple or anything, or is there anything going on with that? I don't know much about where you practice or if you. So right now I, I, uh, split my time between a ashram that I live at in a, uh, in Maryland and outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And the other half of my time I spend in a, uh, 716 acre forest outside of Rome, Georgia. Um, I also do Dharma talks and various wanderings up and down the East Coast and uh, sometimes out to New Mexico and Colorado as well. And that's your accent. I was wondering about your accent, Georgia. Right. It's so cool. I, I, I can't help but like my personality has uh, this uh, thing for accents and that's Georgia. Oh, yeah. There we go. And there's a, you know, that's what coming from Georgia, I mean, you might, as a stereotype, someone listening might be like, Georgia, a Georgia sadhu, that's like, wh where'd that come from? Because just because of the stereotypes about places like Georgia in the South, like you, you might not think someone would become a sadhu in Georgia. So maybe you go into that, like you're you're in Georgia and then you become a sadhu. Was there some conflict there at some point or anything like that? Um, so I actually mostly reside in Maryland. Originally, I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, what what kind of found me to becoming this person on this path was um, a bunch of 
internal conflict. Um, most of my life, I struggled with who I was and what my purpose was. Uh, I spent six years in the United States Marine Corps Infantry, um, did deployments to Afghanistan. I got combat wounded twice and medically retired. And then after that, I really struggled with who I was and what my purpose was. And one day, this funny looking guy in a blanket came to me in a dream on a yoga retreat and kind of just opened my heart up to whatever needed to be will be and whatever needs to come will come. And ever since then, I've had just a daily practice of surrender. Uh, I do not surrender all the time because I'm still very, very human. I still try to control stuff and things and people and places. Um, but for me, being a sadhu is one of the ultimate services that I can do for myself. Um, and it's done for myself, but it's done under the umbrella of serving everybody. Um, it allows me to find the goodness in people and the graciousness in people. Um, as a sadhu, I have no bank account. I have no money. I have no funds. Everything that I get literally is given to me. And that's a very beautiful and freeing practice because initially when people come inherently as humans, we judge them. We judge the way they look, the way they talk, the way they dress and the way they walk. And oftentimes I find myself the people that years ago I would judge the most are now the people that give me the most. And that is just a beautiful transformation into this idea of loving and serving everyone like Maharaja used to talk about. Yeah, what you're talking about with the judgment, that's uh, uh, like it says in uh, the Christian Bible, judge not and you shall not be judged. I find when I'm able to step back from judgment. It's so beautiful to be able to just allow people as they are in their perfection and their beauty and all that. And what's, I mean, as far as uh, the Marine Corps goes, I mean, that's very disciplined to be a Marine. I got a Marine neighbor, Mayor Miles, we call him the unofficial mayor. And it, like the discipline that's required in the Marine, how I imagine that uh, helped you with your sadhu. Uh, life, which is, I imagine, very disciplined. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe you're just goofing off all the time, but it probably is very disciplined. It is. You know, I, I allow for the ebb and flow of, of life to happen and take me where I need to go. Um, I kind of akin it to if you're in the ocean and you try to swim against the tide, you don't really ever get anywhere, maybe a couple feet ahead. But if you just let the tide take you to where you go, it's effortless. Um, that being said, you know, there is a lot of discipline in both the military and in being a, a sadhu or a sannyasi or a monk. Um, and I, I would say that the those forms of discipline do vary. Um, the military is very much a forced discipline or an external discipline. Um, you can still be disciplined externally and not have any internal fortitude or discipline. Whereas a sadhu is a wandering aesthetic with no job. I have all the availability in the world just to goof off if I choose to. But we rely on the internal discipline through our practice and surrender and grace to be able to guide us to where we should go instead of just sitting in the woods, smoking a chillum all day or watching YouTube all day or whatever. the case may be. <laughs> I, I mean, I imagine that. So you, if you say you were like one day, like I want to goof off, you could. That's what you're saying. Like it's that like the person that runs the ashram wouldn't come say, hey, get off YouTube. Is what you're that, that it's like you have to say, I'm going to be disciplined today. Like, how would you do that? How do you like say you like, do you ever get tempted by any kind of thing like goofing off or watching YouTube all day? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm... Give me looks. I... What is goofing off? Well, <laughs> I'm not being offensive, am I? No, no, no. I think that's a valid question. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of what this path for me is is uh, being able to realize both my divinity and my humanness at the same time. Mm. Um, and that human aspect of it is a lot of an aspect that I feel people often overlook. Uh, they get on this spiritual path and these journeys, and they focus on the divine, but we're humans at least in this birth or in this moment. So it's perfectly normal for our thoughts to wander or for our sadhana to lessen one day. So the way personally that I try to adhere to these these guiding principles of the sadhu is to constantly be of service, to always say yes. Um, and what that does is that takes me out of my own mindset and allows me to be of service to somebody else. And when I can be of service to somebody else, I really find that that is far more enticing and more fulfilling than just goofing off and watching youtube or doing nothing or doing what i'm not supposed to be doing um it's it's much more of a eternal gratification than just the instant gratification of scrolling through social media or overeating or doing this or that yeah i feel that this discipline that sadhus have and of all traditions is inspiring you know, it's like I imagine people when they find out about your discipline, they might like have their own like they could make their own place uh, ashram and have become like a sadhu in their own life, even though they are officially a sadhu. Do you ever like do you ever like talk to people about that kind of stuff? Yeah, most of the questions I get asked, uh, I shouldn't say most, a fair amount of the questions I get asked are from people that have a very marked interest in this lifestyle, but have these worldly attachments that are still needed to be taken care of dharmically. Um, for example, people often come to me and ask about, you know, how can I be a renunciant or an aesthetic and still have a wife and a family? And I say, well, you know, right now that's, that's your dharma to have the wife and the family, but you can still enact principles in your life that will give you spiritual discipline and growth just as a sadhu or a monk would. Uh, it's just a different variation of that principle enacted in your life. Oh, yeah. And as far as your practices go, like I've seen your uh, some of your online videos where you uh, do sing chanting and that sort of thing. Could you talk maybe about that kind of stuff? What you what you would do with that sort of? Yeah. So like, my daily practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do uh, 11 chalitas a day. Um, All right. I, I just sang this Lisa this morning. I swear. It's just like I was crying and everything. It's so beautiful. I don't even know why. I just go with it. It's like it's not a rational thing. So if you could go into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually do Chalisa's in a funny way. In the morning, I always do it in Hindi. Uh, so I can, after I do puja, I wake Maharaji up with the song that he likes in his native language, which was Hindi. Yeah. And then um, from there, I do 10 to 15 rounds of Japa Mala. I try to do half an hour, 45 minute meditation. I do journaling. Um, I practice my Sanskrit and I read scriptures. And then throughout the day, everything I try to do is selfless service. So instead of scrolling through the YouTube, I try to go outside and help our groundskeeper weed or shovel snow or anything that would aid another individual on their path. Then at night, uh, the practice I've been doing recently that I enjoy is going live on Facebook and doing questions and answers, some chanting and some basic 
uh, information that people that are new to spirituality or Hinduism may not know, such as puja rituals or uh, what should be done according to the Vedas. And then the last thing I do for my evening is RT and puja. And I close that with an English chalisa. And the reason I chose English is twofold. The first reason is it's my native tongue. So it more deeply resonates with me than saying something in Hindi. And the second reason is because Maharaji does not understand English. So it's almost like uh, when Charlie Brown's parents used to talk and it's like that. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I feel like that calms him down some and, uh, and puts him to bed pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's what's great about. I also have Maji as my guru, and I and I, when I say my guru, I mean on that level where there's a one place the two. Like there's all for me, there's all these levels of consciousness, and I feel like it's important to keep it together on all the levels. And I find like it's a very playful relationship I have with Maji. Well, ultimately, he's a mirror to see who I really am. It's just it. I feel like he has a sense of humor, and I'll sit there and talk with him and. You know, I, I just wonder if you could maybe go into his like set his humor and his playfulness. What we, wait, oh, hold on. Oh yeah, and I, once I he he also comes to people in these astral planes. He he came to me in a one of these astral planes and told me to sing the Chalisa, and I started singing that. Yeah, it really, it's amazing. Yeah, the first time I met him, he came to me in like a dream darshan. Um, with no clue who he is or who he was. And we went on this pretty wild adventure together. And he actually, in this dream, led me to one of my first teachers who I then um, figured out who it was eventually and contacted him. And they gave me my tradition, gave me my name. Um, and for his playful side, above, um, I sleep on the floor. Uh, but above the floor where I sleep in this room in the temple in which I live, there's a picture of him laughing. And it's <laughs> because sometimes he's laughing with me, but most of the time, most of the time, he, <laughs> he's laughing at me because I did something silly. Uh, and usually I don't catch it. It's in moments of frustration or resentment or worry or control that I really get in my head. And I look at that picture of him laughing at me. <laughs> and I say, okay, man, I got the joke. I'm, I'm the silly one here you know <laughs> you're right though it's so helpful like like say when you're growing up in school you know it, the bully might laugh at you but it's like a total opposite of that it's not it doesn't have that liberating letting go feeling of not taking yourself so seriously and so on right that's what yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah it's beautiful and you know it's and you said that you never had heard of Maraji before this astral plane or dream experience. Correct. Yeah. I, I uh, both him and, and the teacher he introduced me to, I never knew who either of them were. So I started Googling and uh, looking at YouTube videos of um, saints and sages, just because I, I had this guttural feeling that this person was, uh, although he was in a human form, it was some type of something beyond what I could comprehend. So saints and sages came to mind. Um, and then the first day I found his picture, you know, after a couple of days of looking, and I thought, huh, that's him. And then I read a couple of his stories, um, just excerpts, you know, on different Reddit forms or YouTube videos. And uh, it was always that playful nature. It was never condescending. It was never mean. You know, he was never angry at people. Uh, he'd show emotions because he acted like he was human. But past all of that, there was this true unconditional love. Um, 
and until you can feel that from him, it's very hard to describe. But once you do, it's it's really like he he truly does have you under his blanket and he's holding your hand this whole time. Yeah, I he's it's just incredible to work with Maraji for me too. And what's amazing I feel about uh, Maraji is um you know how like you know you might have heard of the the one after Ramdas went to see Maraji the first time, uh, people were introduced to Maraji through Be Here Now and through meeting Ramdas and so on. And people needed that extra boost to go see him in person. But I just find it really funny because he's right there in the picture. He's right there in the yeah. picture. And we could just hang out with him with the picture. And it's just so amazing. Like Ananda Ma said that once. You know, they're they're not, they're pictures to someone without any faith. But to someone with faith, there they are. Right there in the picture. And it's just so incredible. And like you're saying about, you know, you had never heard of him before. These miracles, they're legit. Like I've had to the miracles and stuff like that where he moved be here now by itself it starts moving by itself and and people have had all kinds of experiences and dreams and stuff i mean he's a miracle baba it's so great to have that so maybe if we go into that because ultimately like it's not about the miracles they're helpful but it's about what you're saying about the unconditional love so you yeah, go into that it's something that's really like I said, it's peculiar because it's something you never experience. And then when you experience it, at least for me, there's really no words I can use to adequately describe it because it's beyond what I can understand. Um, and oftentimes when I do, you know, talks or podcasts or uh, interviews, it baffles people on the outside that I say, yeah, this, this guy, this, this human figure that's leading my life I've never met and I've never talked to in a physical form before. Um, of course, I talk to his pictures and his murtis and, you know, when I sing and chant, I talk to him that way. But it, it blows people's minds that I've, I've never physically met this individual that I've chosen to just almost blindly accept whatever happens is, is his grace. And it, it's it's truly unconditional love. Uh, and sometimes it's hard lessons, you know, sometimes it's things that I don't understand in the moment, but I have this knowing in the back of my mind and in the depths of my soul, I have this knowing that whatever is happening is happening through him and it'll all work out how it's supposed to be. And that for me, at least is the true definition of faith is not questioning and not worrying just whatever happens happens and in that moment that's what i need to be able to grow yeah i'm i'm crying right now i feel maji's presence right now and that love and it's just so beautiful and it's it's amazing how it just shows up for these podcasts and i'm sure you have like you'll you'll have him just he's right here he's like right here in this moment and um if you like what like if we could maybe get into this like that how you find it within you so that the picture points with inner to this inner like you said in the depths of your soul so the inner journey like how's that for you as far as uh what you're going through as a sadhu you know i i get asked that often and i always pause for a second because my first reaction is to say that everything is always amazing and everything is always what I want it to be. And everything is perfect, but that really doesn't mean it's what I want it to be. Uh, 
So a lot of what this journey is for me is realizing that I don't always know, rarely, rarely do I know what's really best for me. Um, you know, and if you know my life and my background, that's really apparent that I do not know what's best for me. So for me, the journey inward is the journey of just surrendering to whatever happens and realizing that it's what needs to happen. It's one of the hardest journeys, you know, the the head to the soul is only 13, 14 inch journey. <laughs> but it's one it's one of the hardest journeys we can ever take. And it's also one of the most rewarding is to be able to not worry as much about yourself and worry about others. And I don't think in this birth that I will ever obtain unconditional love for other people the way he does. Uh, I don't think it's, it's in the birth for in the cards for this birth. It may be in the next birth, who knows, but I know that if I can try to do everything the way that he would have done it or the way that he's come to to me through love then i know that when i drop this body and when it's time for this next this next uh rental vehicle of a body that i'm gonna i'm gonna be in a pretty darn good position yeah and just like what you're saying about uh birth and death and reincarnation and all that just like that's a major step for people because you know you probably noticed on a certain level people really are convinced that they are a body that, that that's the I call them the Yolo bucket list zombies, <laughs> machines in the illusion. Ramdas called it. And, yeah, but you yeah. know, but so if you could go into that, like, are you what you're saying? Finding the goodness of people. So looking past the surface level, where that might be something that the person's identified with their body. But are you able to uh, see through that and see like that's uh, Miraji, you know? Because I find uh, it's helpful for me at least. And I don't know your experience of this, but to see Miraji is like, wait, it says and be here now. He's your fingernail. Oh, wait, what does it say? Wait, let me just read this real quick. He's your fingernail. Just bite your fingernail and you're eating him alive. When you know how to listen, everybody's the guru speaking to you. It's right here always. So um, how does like say Miraji as a guru help you with these other people in your life, like people at the ashram or people you work with online or family or whatever your situation is there and so on? You know, one thing um, that I really do adore about him is that he used to tell people to go away. Uh, and he didn't do that out of malice or anger. He did it because that's what the person needed to hear. And that sounds very weird from the outside looking in. But what that has taught me is that I can love everybody unconditionally at the level of their soul. But I don't always have to agree with what they're doing in their incarnation. And when I really was able to stomach that and to understand that and i don't do it all the time again I'm, I'm very flawed as a human still and i'm still learning but when i can get past this level of appearances being the truth and realize that everybody's soul is pure and perfect a lot of these judgments and resentments and fears and anger towards other people just naturally have drifted away um and for me, that's that's part of what he does is he reveals the truth to us in a way that makes sense. And he did it with people when they'd come to visit him and he'd, you know, throw a banana at him and say, Jow, go. <laughs> you know? And we can't understand why he did that. But at the same time, he unconditionally loved who they were. Uh, and that's something that I really work on is a balance between being a non-enlightened 
emotion, feeling human and selflessly serving others. Um, because if I never fill up this vessel that is me, then there's nothing to ever give away. So one thing that he's really taught me is it's okay to take a little bit of this time and recoup myself and fill my vessel back back up and talk to him you know just sometimes i I mean most of the time i just talk to him like he's here because he is here uh yeah even if i can't see him but i just talk to him like a friend and sometimes i get frustrated and i talk to him a little irrationally or i get I get anger with them, you know, and say, why is this happening? And then I look at that picture of them laughing and I say, you're right. I don't really have to know why. I just have to know that it's happening. And then eventually it's not going to happen anymore because everything's impermanent. Yeah. And speaking of the banana, I, something came up for me is a, a, a little miracle story. I'll throw it in there. Um, one time I was like, you know, just chilling at my pad, which I consider an ashram, the cave of clear light. <laughs> we call it, me and Elise call it that. And then I was walking to the, this local convenience store in Jersey called the Wawa. And when I was, I was buying um, a granola bar and something else. And then I swear, like it was showed up on the, where you buy something, like right there where you buy something, a banana. A banana showed up and I hadn't purchased a banana. I hadn't got a banana. I wasn't thinking about bananas. I was thinking about, I was like too, I'm always hanging out with Miraji. And then it showed up right there and then disappeared. And I felt the banana hit me. <laughs> like, to, to like up-level the situation, you know? And that's what I feel like. Like you were saying, seeing the picture of him laughing when you're going through something, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And going back to what you are saying about, like, the allowing or the accepting it as it is, as all Mirage's Leela or Mirage or the will of God or whatever someone sees it as, like, and being able to allow, it's like, yeah, well, when things are going great, someone might be thinking, well, when things are going great in my life, oh, that's easy. But when shit comes down the line and I'm all uptight about it and it's hard to say, okay, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. And it's perfect, you know? And I know in my incarnation storyline that comes up for me and then I'll get all worked up about something and so on. But just the, when you're, when we're able to step back and just allow and accept it, uh, you know, it has a strange way of working out. Like, I was this Ramakrishna story. You've probably heard of the Gospel of Ramakrishna. I think yeah, I saw you writing books. about that. Yeah. And it, there was this guy that would always just say in the town, say, it's the will of Rama, it's the will of Rama. And then one day, these robbers came, and they robbed his house or something, and and they blamed it on him or something. And he was like, that's the will of Rama. But then when he went before the judge, and he was like, it's the will of Rama, it all still ended up working out for him, and he got released from from prison or jail or whatever so maybe we could talk about that like there's like a like a silver lining to some of these situations where it's it's happening bad in that moment in in a way but all of a sudden Raji has a way of helping it work out down the line or something if that I don't know if that makes sense to you or anything but yeah yeah it does I, I kind of equate it to like quicksand you know yeah if you're in quicksand and you struggle and you struggle and you struggle, you never get free. But as soon as you can settle in and just calm down and realize that this is where you are and that's what it is, that's when you can grab and start to move and free yourself. Um, and a really good example is, you know, one of the first times I went down to the, uh, the Just Love Forest down in Georgia, uh, I had just enough gas money I was given to get down there. I mean, like if there's 
if there's an accident on the highway, I'm going to beg for money because I don't have enough. And something came over me in the morning when we were doing puja before I left, and I took $20 out of the pocket, and I put it in front of the Hanumanji Murti. And I, I just said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but this, I guess, is what I need to do right now. And I thought, well, by the time I get down to Tennessee, you know, Bristol's there and Nashville, I can get out and I, I have my harmonium and I can chant and beg for some money for gas. And then no sooner did I just surrender and do that than one of our bhaktas came in and he said, oh, you have all your bags. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Georgia for two weeks. And he said, oh, here. And he gave me $20. He said, use this for gas or food or whatever. But Very, it's just... Yeah. It's in those moments, man, if, if we can surrender to what is, that's when the change occurs. The more we try to fight it, it doesn't work. You know, it's like if you ever see a kid go to the doctor and they're afraid of getting a shot, like the immunization shot, mm-hmm. they freak out and they freak out and they freak out. But all that's going to happen is you're still going to get the shot. And once the shot is done, the kid's perfectly fine. It didn't even hurt. It didn't pinch. It's over. But we're a lot like that as adults, man. I freak out and I try to control the situation and I try to do this and that. But as soon as I just stop and accept it, boom, it's done and we're on to the next thing. And it's almost already out of our minds. Yeah, that's illustrated the exact point. That's that's beautiful. Like, you're on it. You're on. I'm like, what I'm saying is like, I I just want to make this point. We're closing out the show. But what it, you know, people could talk this talk and they could put on the outfits or whatever it is of any tradition. But what do you feel in your heart when you communicate with this person? And I feel in my heart right now that love. And I really appreciate having you on the show. And I feel really uplifted. And I feel Mariah's presence. And I feel like that the merging of laughter and tears. And it's just it's so amazing. I, this is such a grace. And I just thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'd like to take all the credit, but I think we both know who all the credit really goes to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's like, I feel like Miraji for me is uh, that represents my my true self and the true self of us all. And yeah, that's how I look at it, too. I just feel like sometimes people might misunderstand that and sit, feel it's a dualistic uh, uh, philosophy way of looking at things. But it's not about uh, for me philosophy or our thought or concepts it's something we feel in our heart it's something that we can rest in we can rest in this love and and all that kind of stuff and that that's what works for me and i don't and of course if someone's pushing something on someone you know like they might have their own issues so just give them a break and have and love them have compassion for them right absolutely yeah so okay this has been under the blanket with your host bobby here love aka nobody a.k.a. one with it all, a.k.a. you, a.k.a. me. I am he as you are he as you are me, and we are all together, <laughs> a.k.a. and so on and so forth. <laughs> and I've had on the show Ganga, Das, Baba, and uh, this has been a great show. And I'm just like, oh, like, we're like, oh, we <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, woo. All right. <laughs> I'm closing out the show, right, baby? Yeah. All right. So this has been, uh, wait, we already said that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, how about, oh, great idea. Let's close it out. If you could do a, um, a close out the show with uh, a mantra of some sort or a blessing and bless all uh, the listeners of the podcast 
uh, if you could, with some kind of uh, mantra. Absolutely, I'll do one of my favorites. It's Mataramro Mapitaramachandraha Swamiramro Matasakramachandraha Swamiramro Ramachandro Dayalu Naranjan Jani Nejani Najani. All right. Rama, Rama, Rama. 